What it do, baby? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know what it is. It's the time for another episode of Time to Jets right here on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, of course, wherever it is you happen to be listening to us. Thank you so very, very much for spending your time here today with uh, with your boy Big Zuwap right here on Time to Jet. So please hit that subscribe so that you do know when our episodes are dropping. And, you know, leave a little five-star something, something, a little comment, a little review. If you wouldn't mind, those help keep the lights on over here. Like I always say, they put those kibbles in my young man Duke's bowl, so he appreciates it. I know that for a fact. So please uh, keep on doing that. We appreciate you over here. And, um, of course... If you got any thoughts on the trade deadline, if you got any thoughts on, you know, you're still reacting to that win over the Bengals on Sunday or you're getting ready for the game on Thursday versus the Colts, hit me up on that Twitter machine at Zubeard77. Um, I try to get back to as many tweets as I can. Sometimes it could be a little hectic on there or sometimes things could be just, you know, going on and I might miss a couple of things, but I do try to... uh I love the interaction with you guys. I love talking back and forth and just getting into the to the mix of things. And of course, you know, the best comments that I get on there, I'm gonna read out right here on the uh on the podcast. So please hit me up with those questions, responses, thoughts about the team right now. And uh yeah, I do appreciate them. I just want to say thank y'all for that, and I do love the interaction. But we will finish up on the little bit of uh, you know, a fest but right there we'll leave that be right there and uh the reason that we are here today one the jets play a thursday game so we need to uh get a little information out to you guys earlier than usual and because we got a little trade deadline to react to and i gotta be honest with you i thought this was gonna be a very very um active deadline for the jets i thought joe douglas was gonna be putting himself into a position where this team was going to be gaining a lot of picks back or this team was just going to be moving on from some vets, moving on from some younger guys that just don't fit what they're doing. At the end of the day, the Jets didn't get rid of anybody. Uh, I should take that back because they made one trade and we'll get to that in a little bit. But the guys that we were talking about, CJ Mosley, Marcus May, Jameson Crowder, Denzel Mims, just those four specifically, all still on this team. All guys that we were questioning, do they have futures with this organization? You know, C.J. Mosley, we questioned because C.J. Mosley has by far the most value of any player on this Jets roster. He is the best player on this Jets roster. And it's not even that close, to be completely honest with you. He's the only guy on this team that would start on all 32 so the reason, and when I say all 32, that means all 32 teams. Sorry, I just want to make sure that I'm putting that out there for you guys. So please don't get angry if I stop just to explain something. It's to make sure that everybody's on the same page. But yeah, he's the only guy who can start on all 32 in this league. So that's where the value comes with with CJ. The number that he has in terms of salary this year, the Jets probably would have had to have eaten a lot of that if they wanted to get rid of him. And especially if they wanted to get some back in return, that was of up to par with the value that you're giving away in CJ. So you're talking like a second, maybe third round pick. 
Teams weren't going to probably be willing to do that. That's why C.J. Mosley's on this team in addition to the fact that, and Joe Douglas alluded to this, but he's an irreplaceable part of this defense. I mean, Robert Sala was talking about him about as glowingly as I've heard a coach talk about anyone. Honestly, he's talking about how the guy is, uh, you know, how he's a leader on the field, how he's putting dudes in places, how he just understands the NFL game or just in general the game of football better than almost anybody on the entire team, and that's including coaches, you know? And you can tell that when he's out on the field. You can see his leadership. You can see his defensive knowledge or just in-game management knowledge all the time. And you don't want to just let a guy like that go just because. So I'm very happy. I'm very surprised, but I'm very happy that C.J. Mosley is still with this team. I'm a humongous C.J. Mosley fan. I think he is everything that Robert Salas said he was, everything that Joe Douglas said he was. And I think he has he is that indispensable for this uh you know just Jets organization. You gotta have somebody here who is a veteran, who's not 22, 23, 24, who is gonna be a leader of yours through this entire thing. You just have to. If you get rid of guys, if you get rid of guys like Sheldon Rankins, you get rid of guys like CJ Mosley, then you have nothing. You have literally nothing. And you're just going out there with dudes and saying, you're the culture now. And guys don't even know what the hell they are in the NFL because they're so young. you got to give people time. You have to have veterans on this team and keep them around. And C.J. Mosley is the most important one right now for this defense and just in general for this team. So I'm happy that he is still here. And I will be uh, done waxing poetically about C.J. Mosley for right now. I'll probably talk a little crazy about him on the pregame podcast on Thursday, of course, which if you subscribe right here, you'll be able to get a notification when it drops on Thursday. So keep an eye out for that. But anyway, on the two guys that I thought were absolutely locks and a half to be going on this team, but are still here, young Marcus May and Jameson Crowder. And those are two dudes who, for very different reasons, I don't believe we're going to be on this team going forward after this season. I mean, in terms of J-Mo, his contract is up. He's a little older. I mean, I think he's about 29, something like that, 28, 29. So, Jameson Crowder probably isn't a guy that you're bringing back, especially since you have Elijah Moore here. You already got Corey Davis. You got Mimsy. And then you're probably going to bring in some other receivers, just not depth pieces, but guys that could start. I wouldn't be shocked if that's something that happens this offseason. So, Jameson Crowder, his role with this team went out the window future-wise when they drafted Elijah Moore. And, I mean, you saw Elijah Moore start making things happen this week. The kid needs to get more opportunity to make plays. Because the more opportunities he has, the more stuff he puts on film... The more that he allows coaches to see him, the more that he allows himself to see what his issue is, what he needs to do better, what he's doing good. So getting Jameson Crowder somewhere else I thought would have been productive for this team. It would have helped a young guy like Elijah Moore. But 
the franchise obviously valued keeping Jameson Crowder around to have as a safety valve for Mike White and, you know, eventually Zach Wilson for the rest of this season. I mean, and I say eventually Zach Wilson. Listen, we might have a little QB controversy here, so stay tuned around. We'll talk about it in a little bit along with, uh, you know, some more things over here. But right now we're talking about Marcus May and he's still on this team. And I don't have any problem with that because you all know, you've been listening to this podcast. I'm a fan of Marcus May. I like him. I thought they should have been extending him since the beginning of the season. I thought it was disrespectful to the man that they did not. I kind of understand why with everything that has come out. I kind of can understand, you know, where they are now as well. And thinking that, hey, we keep him around. We see what happens. We we go through the struggle with him. And then in the offseason, maybe the league gives us some type of uh, idea of where Marcus is going to be, you know, suspension-wise, and then they can make a plan off of that. When the news drops and you find out, okay, Marcus May gets a DUI, what the heck do we know about it? Not very much, so you're just thinking, I mean, where, where does he go next? Now you're a couple of weeks removed. You kind of have a level head about it. You kind of look at it a little differently and you say, hey, Marcus might be a guy. You know, actually, I'll take that back. Marcus is the same guy who we like, who is a good dude, who is a good player, who is a good jet. And poor decision making is definitely not something to be condoned and Joe Douglas uh, came out and said that as well. You know, you don't condone the decision, but you you uh, support the man. You support the person. And that's very telling for Joe Douglas, although he didn't commit to if this team is going to, you know, keep Marcus around for the future. But that's also, that's part of bargaining. That's part of, you know, that's just part of business. So I'm not too thrown off by that, especially since he said that he does consider... Marcus, a big part of this team. I think it's good you keep him around. And again, it's another quote-unquote veteran on this team that can help, you know, be kind of a leader for these young guys. And that's what you need. You need to keep guys like that around. So hopefully hopefully Marcus is uh, is here for a little while. I'm shocked that he's still around right now. But I am not, I'm not disappointed, if that's the right word. I'm not disappointed Marcus May is not not a Jet. I'm more disappointed that Jameson Crowder is still here because I would have really liked to have seen Elijah Moore take over that slot position over the last, you know, 10 games of the season. That would have been pretty nice to me. But, hey, it is what it is. They'll keep getting more involved week in, week out, and we'll just have to see how that continues to develop for this team. Um... In terms of Denzel Mims, who was the final guy that I mentioned, I mean, this kid is on such a rock, like such a shocking road, such a rocky path to being a player, shockingly not playing a lot this year, playing a little bit here and there. But apparently, you know, doing what he did on Sunday, he was the leader in terms of snaps played by wide receivers for the Jets in the game. So that's a pretty nice little uh, number to stick by. Or not a number of feathers sticking your head. There we go. That's the phrase. Sorry about that, guys. You know, it's a little early here. But uh, <laughs> but no, you got that little feather in the cap. 
And now the, the, the coaching staff is starting to pay a little respect. They said, hey, Denzel, oh, Mimsy, he's earned himself a little bit more, uh, you know, playing time. And we're going to see him out there more. And we're going to get him involved. And that's what you want to hear. Because the more you get Denzel Mims involved, the more he's going to be used to playing in a game. And you'll be able to see what you have there. So obviously, either Mims figured it out in terms of the offense or this coaching staff said, screw it. We just need to get this kid out there. He's too good to continue to sit on the bench and DNP and do not play and not get him in there. It's just too much. You got to get him out there and see what happens. And the offense looked pretty damn good when you did. They looked pretty damn good when you had him there. So whatever reason that is that it looked nice, I don't know. I don't really care right now. It did. Keep getting him out there. Good stuff keeping Mims around because... Yeah, that would have been a complete disaster. I'm happy to say that I'm wrong that Denzel Mims is still on this team after the trade deadline of this season. I said that earlier on in the year. I thought he would be gone. I'm happy that he's playing and he's still with the team. But one move that was made, and the Jets did make one move, Joe Douglas slang his thing around one time for the one time with Kansas City, and the Jets traded away. And I know everybody hold on to your seats. Please get a tissue ready. Because uh, they had to get rid of tight end Dan Brown. Yeah, I know. Me too. I don't know who the heck that is either. But hey, he was on this team. He he played a little bit. You know, he was a he was a member. But you trade Dan Brown. He trade trade Dan Brown to the Kansas City Chiefs, and what do you get in return for Dan Brown? Laurent Duvernay Tardif. The guard of the Super Bowl champion Chiefs from two seasons ago in 2019. And a guy who was finally, finally, after a long journey through the medical community, he is back in the NFL once again as Dr. Duvernay Tardif. And that's a, it's a good pickup. You want me to be honest with you? It's a really good pickup. He's a guy who has started in a Super Bowl. He's a guy who has started for a championship team. Throughout multiple seasons, I believe it's 57 and 60 games that he played for the Chiefs. Or didn't just play, but started as their guard. He's somebody who, listen, you don't bring him in because he's going to be a game-changing starter. And he's going to go in off day one. And he's going to win the job and be there for the next five years. That's not why you're bringing in Duvernay Tardif. You're bringing him in for, one, a body on this offensive line who is capable not just somebody who you're going to pick up off a practice squad because this is somebody who might have to play. You have a potential injury to George Fanton. If you don't, he's a guy who has been getting hurt on plays for the past two weeks, so it's something you need to start to monitor. Morgan Moses is a little older. I mean, Van Rotten's not a young guy, and also Van Rotten stinks. So there's an opportunity for Duvernay Tardif to get himself in the lineup. But it's not going to happen. It's, it won't be on Thursday night. He won't even dress probably on Thursday night. So I would be shocked if he's, uh, you know, part of that 53-man active roster. But the following week, maybe you see him get in there versus Buffalo, especially with that defensive line that they got. You might be seeing uh, Greg Van Rotten looking like the uh, the entrance over to the one train at Penn Station right now. If that's, you know, what I mean, like, it, on Sunday, he might just be getting passed through like a turnstile, like, all, all day. 
And when that's going to happen, now you finally have someone who can go in and legitimately take that spot. A guy who has legitimately started in this league before and a guy who can, I think, start there for this team. I don't see why not. So Duvernay Tardif, especially when you're just giving up, and I mean just giving up Dan Brown. I mean, listen, I say that with a very, very tongue-in-cheek because we all know how good Dan Brown is. But when you can get an offensive lineman who has started in this league and has a Super Bowl experience and is as good of a human being, or at least from what I can tell, as good of a human being as uh, Duvernay Tardif is, please go read about him if you don't know who he is. Um, the doctor is a good man, and I think he's going to be a good part of this team going forward. That's just one man's opinion. That's just one man's thought. But if Duvernay Tardif isn't starting over Greg Van Rotten by the time Miami gets here, the Miami game in three weeks, then we can come up with a punishment for myself. <laughs> but... I don't think that's going to happen. But hit me up on that Twitter machine, at Zubeard77. Let me know what some good punishments will be if I'm wrong on that one. I think that's something we need to start doing here. When I'm predicting games, when I'm getting into the mix on just some thoughts, I, th I think I might need to start, when I predict something, put something down so that if I'm wrong, I got to pay a little bit of a uh, token. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe I'm going a little crazy, but... Hit me on that Twitter machine at Zubeard77, and we'll see. Maybe we find a good uh, a good punishment for me to do if Duvernay Tardif ain't starting over that guy, Greg Van Rotten, in a couple of weeks. But, hey, Greg had a good game, apparently, on Sunday. He was the highest-rated Jets uh, PFF offensive player, huh? I don't know how the heck that happened, but it did happen, and he was up there. I guess they grade on a scale or something, but... Mike White was like one of the lowest rated Jets uh, because I guess those two interceptions he threw threw his score all the way down to a 50% or something. Uh, PFF rankings are, listen, they're good in some scenarios. They kind of can give you a decent lay of the land, but they do what they do to get clicks. I mean, they do what they do in terms of rating people so low or so high so that people talk about them. They get trending. People know who they are. That's really it. It's just a marketing ploy. And there's a lot of people in this business nowadays that give you very hot takes. That give you very, um, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But when it comes to PFF, they're not even giving you hot takes. They're just trying to put out marketing information so that people talk about them. That's it. Their scores are literally so devalued and depreciated by themselves that it's hard to take that that seriously you can use them as a guide you can definitely use them as a guide but don't judge it as the bible use your eyes and know what you're watching you put that all together and then you can use pff but until then they think greg van rotten had the best performance of any jet on sunday they're out of their minds. <laughs> they are out of their minds crazy. And I say that with all due respect because I know some people over there and I respect them heavily. But <laughs> Greg Van Rotten being the highest score jet, I just, blech. I'm disgusted by that. We watched a game. Come on. It's not true. Because you had Mike White on the field. 
You had Mike White killing the thing out there, slinging that ball around, creating. And I say this very, very seriously now. Created a QB controversy in this fan base that we haven't seen, I don't think, in 20 years. This is a legitimate, I mean, fans, there's a belief that Mike White is the guy. And based on what he did on Sunday, he is the guy. But that's one game. One game. One 400-yard passing game. Mike White's not going to come out every week and throw for 400 yards. I've said this already. But he has to come out this week if he wants to continue this momentum. And he has to have a good game. He has to have another solid outing where he's completing, um, you know, over 75% of his passes, where he's throwing for over 200 yards, where he tosses a touchdown, you know, just things like that where it's like, okay, there's still stuff here, even though the team didn't play maybe as well. He's still going. He's still making things happen. He's not making any stupid mistakes. And two picks that he throw, those are things you could learn from because he whistled those things in there and he didn't need to so you have a coach who can say hey take a little bit off of these these passes here specifically and you're going to be in a better place watch what happens that's just a little thing that'll change that i think will help him be more accurate and consistent but when defenses start to play up and they stop giving him the dump off passes what's going to happen to mike white when he doesn't have guys who he could just toss it to and they go and get him five more yards, they go and get him six, seven, eight more yards, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for Mike White to have this type of success, in my opinion. But he's he's shown us nothing but good things so far, so I don't want to start crapping on the guy right now. I'm just more so trying to temper down the crazy expectations that are starting to be put on him. Because the odds are is that when Zach Wilson is healthy in about four weeks or, you know what I mean, like that Miami game or potentially the Houston game he comes back in or maybe even potentially the Philly game, when he is ready to go, I guarantee you he's going to be in there. Even though, you know, you got Robert Sala literally doing anything he can to not deny the fact that. Mike White could have a chance to be the starting quarterback of his team in the future. You know, in spite of that, in spite of Joe Douglas saying the door is open, I just, I find it very, very hard to believe that Mike White, after three games, is going to completely flush down the toilet the, the whole plan you had with Zach Wilson. But one thing that I have been shown personally from this week, and I'm somebody who likes to read into things, I'm somebody who likes to judge people's words because that's really what you're saying. I like to read into what people say. I mean, people who say things for face value, I think, are liars in today's world. I mean, there's really not many people that do that. Um, And what I mean by that is when Robert Sala is being asked, you know, in the pregame when I'm listening to that on Sunday, and they're saying, do you think Zach can get anything out of this game? And I'm paraphrasing, so please... Don't take this word for word. But he said, I hope Zach watches this game with an open mind. That was a quote that he said on 98.7 ESPN. And I know maybe I shouldn't give them the shout, but they had it. It was their pregame show. 
And this dude threw that out there. Hopefully he's watching it with an open mind. And then to see the way they've been reacting around Zach, or not around Zach, but around Mike White afterwards, it strikes me that this coaching staff doesn't think that Zach is very much bought into what they're doing. I don't think that they believe Zach wants to buy into what they're doing. I don't think Zach thinks that this offense is a successful one or one that's going to be good. I mean, just look at the move that just happened. They just hired Zach's personal QB coach, John Beck from BYU, to come in with the staff. I mean, he's not the Jets QB coach. He's not even a, I don't think he's even an associate on the staff. He's just a guy they said, okay, hey, Zach, you like working with him because Wilson was going to go out to Utah during the bye week and go work with this guy. But they said, why the hell are you going to do that? Let's bring his ass over here. Let's bring him in. We'll hire him, whatever. Work with him. If he helps you, we'll, we'll hire him. We'll bring him in. So that, to me, just completely puts the what's right cherry on top of the Sunday. When I'm looking at this, because that just shows me as a fact, as a fact that's undeniable, I would say, that Zach Wilson and this staff don't see eye to eye. They don't really have very much respect for one another, I don't think. I don't think they view the game in the same way. I don't think there's very much trust there on either side. I mean, you can see it by the play calling of Mike LaFleur on Sunday. They don't trust Zach to really do very much in this offense. And Zach obviously doesn't trust them to be getting the most out of his career because otherwise he wouldn't be going to, you know, some personal QB coach in the middle of the season and ditching out on his team during a bye. I mean, it is a bye week, but when you're young and your team is having the struggles that you're having, you don't typically just uh, take off on a bye week and start doing your own thing and start learning your own way again. I mean, you kind of got to learn how to play within the team. And Zach really is not doing that. Uh, and I don't want to start killing the kid, but I'm I'm seeing the writing on the wall. And it's really, really clear that Joe Douglas, Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur, listen, Zach Wilson might be able to do crazy things. Like he might be able to throw off his back foot, running straight at the sideline and throw the thing 60 yards downfield on the money for a touchdown. But he can't hit a running back out of the backfield. He can't hit Jameson Crowder coming across on a three, you know, three yards going out. He can't do those things. He's not that kind of a player. And I'm not sure if that was a miscalculation. I'm not sure if that was a uh, buyer's remorse, but they're starting to realize that he's not that guy and that Mike White is. And I think that's one scary for this organization, but they're embracing it. They're saying, hey, you know what? Our stuff works. Obviously, this kid, he needs to buy into it or he can kick rocks. I think that's what you're going to kind of see here. And it's a little, little terrifying to me to think that that's the possibility. Um, but if Mike White does go out there on Thursday and do something, we're going to have serious, serious questions about Zach Wilson's future with this team. Um, and I did not, I did not expect to be saying that when we sat here and we did the season preview episode a month or two months ago. I did not expect to be saying that 
through eight weeks, Zach Wilson might not be the guy, and Mike White. Mike White might be the dude. But we'll revisit that in the postgame. In the postgame on Thursday, because you can't really... I mean, you can't you can't put a QB controversy until somebody does something. So, need another one from Mike White on Thursday. But, before I let you guys run, uh, I'm hitting this for the second week in a row. Please, let me know what your guys' thoughts are on these dudes. If you watch the Saturday college football games, please hit me up during those as well. I watch college football all the time. So, I am up to date on what's happening. And let me know what you think of some of these players or some players that you like. Let me know if there are some under-the-radar guys I'm missing or some high-level prospects that you think would be a good fit on this team. Hit me up on the Twitter machine, at Zubeard77. Let me know who they are, what they're doing, what school they go to, and I'll look into them and I'll try to uh, maybe include them on an episode going forward. But right now, I got my next four. Next four college football players to keep an eye on. And we'll start out number one. And this guy is a beast. And that is one, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, the end. And if we're looking at a guy who is probably the best pure rusher in this class, a guy who is the best overall end in this class, those are two separate dudes. The best rusher, I would say, is Kayvon Thibodeau. And it's not very close. But Aiden Hutchinson makes that closer. Aiden Hutchinson can play unbelievable football. What he's been doing for Michigan throughout this season, I get it. Michigan State game, not the best. But he was still out there doing things, making plays happen, being a menace to that offensive line of Michigan State. And I mean, I got to be honest with you, I think he's a better pick than Thibodeau. I think he's a better fit for the Jets than Thibodeau, being able to stop the run, being able to rush the passer, rush the passer. You know, it's just, it's a good fit. I think I think he's the, he would be a nice dude to bring into this team too. And he's somebody that's probably going to be sitting around the three to seven range, somewhere in there, probably a little lower, probably three to six. And especially by the time we actually get to the draft, I have a feeling he's going to push his way up to maybe being the number two overall pick. By that time, so we'll see where the Jets are drafting. We just got to win to you know on Sunday, so that doesn't really help us in terms of getting a top two pick. But a win is a win, and we'll take those all day, especially if Mike White looks that good again. But uh, somebody who might be a little more possible for us to grab with our own first pick in this draft, and that would be one DeMarvin Leal, defensive lineman of Texas A&M. And Leo's a dude who has been game-wrecking the SEC throughout the season. He's probably the best defensive lineman in the conference. Um, I'll give it to him. He's the best defensive lineman in the conference. He's able to play across the defensive line. He has that type of ability. He's, uh, you know, 290, so he's not giving up any weight. He's about six foot, I think, seven um, or six foot six, something like that. He's a good baller. He's a, he's a guy who can just make moves. And get in there. Very similar to Quinn and Williams. So I'm not sure if there's really a place for him on this defense. But he's a guy who I will tell you right now. Makes this defensive line significantly better. And significantly deeper. Because he can play the nose. He can play a D tackle. He can play an end. He could rush. You don't have very many guys like that in the league. And already having one in Quinnen. Adding a dude like this as well. I mean... 
you're talking about a defensive line that's going to be disgustingly nice for the next potentially 10 years. (laughs) And that, to, to a guy who loves watching defensive lines play, that puts a smile on my face. And also remember who we're talking about as the GM here. We got Joe Douglas. Don't be shocked if you got linemen in that first round, okay? That's all I'm going to say right now. Next up, though, you guessed it, another offensive lineman, or not another offensive lineman, but another lineman. Big old offensive lineman, and this is a guy that I personally like a lot, and that is Kenyon Green, young man, also out of Texas A&M. And unlike Hutchinson and Leal, I don't see him as a top 10 pick necessarily, but I do see him as a guy who will probably go in that 8 to 15 range. And the reason why Kenyon Green is a good, just a good player, a good guy to bring in in the draft is because in college he's played all five positions, all five offensive line positions. Again, not many guys do that. Not many guys are able to go each spot and play for a little bit or even a game. He has done that. He provides you versatility. He provides you, I mean, he's going to be a guard in the league. That's most likely where he's going to play. So he gives you that right guard that you're trying to find for the future and allows you to leave that center position open so that you can put a veteran right there to play alongside a young Vera Tucker, to play alongside now a freshly drafted Kenyon Green for this Jets team. And that helps those kids grow. You bring in a vet, one vet at center helps a rookie quarterback. Two, helps your lineman in between them or to the sides of him. That's what you want. And Kenyon Green will be a really, really good player. Him, Elisha Vera Tucker, we might be talking about two of the top five guards in the league in about, I don't know, let's call it five years. I I know I say some crazy things sometimes, but these are legit. If teams do the right thing, If teams put guys in the right positions, they're going to have immense success because the difference in skill in a lot of these guys isn't that deep. It's about where you go and who works with you. And I think you bring in Kenyon Green to this team, put him on that O-line. It's a good fit, really good fit, and a place for him to play for his entire career, hopefully. But again, Pump the brakes. Don't know where he's going to go. Don't know where we're going to be drafted. But I think that 8 to 15 range is probably where you're going to want to be to get Kenyon Green. And finally, this is, uh, I'm not sure about this one, but I like him. And uh, Kair Elam from Florida, cornerback, Kair Elam, 6'2". Dude's a big body, physical receiver, uh, receiver, physical corner, plays receivers tight, Good in man coverage. Just a kind of guy that the Jets are lacking right now in that secondary. The kind of guy they're definitely lacking at a corner spot. But at the same time, I'm sitting here and I see Michael Carter in that secondary. I see Brandon Eccles in that secondary. I see, you know, Bryce Hall in that secondary. And you're not talking about anybody who's a veteran. You're talking about all guys who are first or second year players. So. If you're going to add to the secondary, I don't think it's necessarily going to be through the draft, especially if you're going to be adding somebody that you want to start day one. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but if the Jets do choose to go that route, 
do choose to draft a quarterback early on, I think Elam is the perfect guy because he goes into that, he fits into that role that the Jets desperately need to fill of a lockdown corner that you could just throw on somebody and make something happen. But those are the four guys for this week. Remember, hit me up on the Twitter machine at Zoobeard77. Let me know what you think about these guys. Let me know what you got going on with uh, other college players. I'm always open to dudes who I might not be watching, who I might not be paying enough close attention to. I mean, if you got any tight ends that you're really into, hit me up with those on Twitter. Um, Yeah, guys. But also remember to hit that subscribe because we got another episode coming for you on Thursday with the pregame, and then we got the postgame after. So please hit that subscribe button. Give us the uh, little five-star rating if you would. Always appreciate that. Hit me up on the Twitter. And, I mean, I don't know what else to say to you guys, but, hey, trade deadline was a little disappointing just because we didn't bring in much, but I think Laurent Duvernay-Tardif is going to be a guy that we really enjoy having in this Jetso organization and that us as fans are going to love on that offensive line for the rest of this year and hopefully years to come. So good job by Joe Douglas on bringing in a dude like that, a character guy, a champion. Um, Hats off to him. But until Thursday, it will be time for me to jet right on now. So appreciate you listening here on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Please join us again on Thursday for that Mike White Game 2 against the Indianapolis Colts. I'll catch you guys then. But until then, I must bid you adieu. Peace.